This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. We are at a crossroads for the telecom sector in Canada. Today, we have a unique opportunity, and I would say even an historic opportunity, to see a real fourth national player emerge, and most importantly, compete in a way that will drive down prices for Canadians. That was ICE Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne late last week, announcing that he was effectively giving the go-ahead to the Rogers-Shaw merger by approving license transfers to Videotron as part of the deal. Champagne tried to spin the move as a win for Canadians, arguing that somehow fewer competitors would lead to greater competition. But in recent months, the Canadian communications landscape has shifted, not only with this merger, but also with the gradual disappearance of about a half dozen independent providers who've been swallowed up by the large companies. What does all of this mean for wireless and internet competition in Canada? Is there any hope for consumers for a respite from some of the world's highest prices? Paul Anderson is the chair of CNOC, the Competitive Network Operators of Canada, and the president of eGate Networks, an independent provider. He joins me on the podcast to talk about the implications of the Roger Shaw merger, the loss of many independent providers, and recent leadership changes at the CRTC. Paul, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I'm really glad that uh, you've jumped on. You know, the, the plan was to talk about what's been happening in the independent ISP and telecom sector in Canada and some of the recent announcements from the CRTC. But uh, as we record this on on a Friday afternoon, we've been overtaken by the news. You know, just several hours ago, uh, the ICED minister, Francois-Philippe Champagne, granted his approval to the Rogers-Shaw merger. Wasn't much of a surprise, but obviously it's a, a pretty important development. So why don't we just start off right away with uh, your thoughts on, on that process and his decision? It was inevitable uh, what the outcome was, that, that there would be an approval uh, of, of this transaction in some form, at least from an industry standpoint. I think the real mystery was going to be on what conditions uh, the minister would put on that. And, and it was very clear for some time that that revolved around what was going to happen with Freedom Mobile. And for those who maybe don't track, uh, Freedom Mobile, which originally was Win Mobile was Shaw's uh, wireless offering. And there was obviously concern on the original deal that if Rogers and Shaw merged, you would see that uh, that upstart wireless provider that many Canadians rely on disappear. And there had been many rumors or theories about where that was gonna go. It had come up in uh, many of the processes and and certainly it, it seemed clear that it would, would end up with Videotron. Um, the minister seemed to really be pushing that that was uh, the correct outcome for that. And, you know, it was important to understand why that struggle was occurring. Certainly governments going back, you know, as far as uh, 2010 or even longer, have really tried to bring Canadians lower prices. Anybody who's traveled, you know, regardless of what uh, the incumbents say, know that wireless prices seem very high compared to anywhere else. Anyone who's traveled knows you can pick up a plan sometimes for half the price uh, that we pay in an airport without any negotiation. So the minister was really, really clearly trying to make sure that this forced national player would A, happen and B, would be strong. 
And I think that's what we saw. We saw that, uh, you know, he has received contractual, as he said it, um, assurances. He's, he, he mentioned that his, uh, his background knew that these would be enforceable and that there will be penalties and that he believes that these conditions that he's put in this will give uh, Videotron uh, access to um, a strong network that they can, they can build on. I think one of the concerning things that certainly uh, as a member of a certain organization that represents service-based competitors is there's a lot of, you know, some might even say sweetheart deals that uh, Rogers has been required to offer Videotron, both in the wireless and the wireline space here. Um, and I think there is a bit of a missed opportunity that why wasn't that just something that's offered to all competitors? Uh, because I think that would have benefited Canadians, um, especially since at the end of the day, with the deal approved, Canada has one less competitor it, uh, as, and combined with some other market consolidation. And there's no way that one less uh, competitor is good for Canadians and low prices. Yeah, no, thanks. Uh, you know, I, I'm inclined to agree. I, I've been asked a lot today about this merger. And I mean, one, to me, one of the takeaways is you don't create more competition by having fewer competitors. At least it certainly doesn't feel that way. And the the removal, not just, or the diminishment of not just this competitor alongside a whole series of other competitors in recent months, I think really speaks to that. You know, the, the, the Bureau, obviously, the Competition Bureau pros the merger. Tribunal didn't back that decision. And now the minister says that he's built in some safeguards, safeguards in terms of contracts that he was waving around during the press conference to say, this is a contract um, with Canadians and uh, various safeguards and requirements on the part of both Videotron and Rogers. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to take a look at those contracts yet, but do you think that some of the provisions that some of the things that he has in mind are sufficient? What do you think some of the, the likely implications are for competition and for consumer pricing? Uh, I, I did read them very quickly, but, um, you know, I think there still needs to be quite a bit absorbed. I did notice that a lot of the commitments were ones that had been previously made. So uh, at least they are now tied to these penalties that the um, the ministers point out. Uh, but it, it does seem like it... Uh, you know, I, I think there there is obviously some concern here and, and missed opportunities. For instance, you know, one of the items that came out of... Uh, the deal was that uh, Videotron will have access to Rogers, uh, both wireline and wireless uh, facilities. There's a deal that uh, Rogers will supply that. And it would have been, you know, I think good for uh, the minister to make that available to all competitors. You know, now there's a, a special deal that allows Videotron to grow at its network, but not other competitors. So why, why does Videotron get access to that? Um, and, you know, I think there's also still a failed opportunity to allow mobile virtual network operators. And for those that are not familiar, that's the idea, again, that as opposed to building the actual tower network, you you buy access to a wireless provider. And this is something we've seen in almost every other country but Canada. I'm sure many people have seen Ryan Reynolds ads for Mint Mobile in the U.S., which was a very popular MVNO that actually recently got acquired. Um, but that's just something that's never been created here in Canada. And while this does seem to be something that will tie Videotron and Rogers, but it doesn't seem to be doing much to encourage more competitors to enter the market. And uh, as you mentioned, we've seen quite a few disappear in recent uh, times. Yeah, I want, and I want to come specifically to that in just a moment. Um, why don't we go, go back to what I thought would be our regularly scheduled programming? You're the, the chair of CNOC. 
And I, I, I want to get into yours and CNOC's perspective on some of these recent developments, particularly with respect to some of those independent players. But first, can you describe the organization and talk a little bit whether or not or to what extent you, you got involved both in the, the merger-related issues with Sean Rogers and, and some of the other proceedings and hearings that were taking place around competition in the in the communication space? Sure. CNOC uh, is a uh, not-for-profit uh, trade association. And the, you know, it's an uh, acronym stands for the Competitive Network Operators of Canada. And uh, CNOC is the voice of competitive internet and telecommunication service providers that uh, operate based on service-based competition. And service-based competition is where part of the uh, services we offer sometimes is where we lease facilities from companies such as the incumbents, such as Bell and Rogers and Telus. It's always important to understand that we it's a portion of our networks. Uh, many of our members operate large scale technical operations and na nationwide networks, along with a, a, a variety of other services. But you know that that tends to be our core uh, membership value, which is that you know we believe that consumers uh, are served by competitive options where some of the options we offer is better customer service, lower prices, or other innovations. And uh, we formed around 2000, 2011, and, and the timing of that is not um, totally random. That was the date of, uh, for those that have been following the sector quite a while, was uh, when there was the, what was called the usage-based billing or UBD debate, uh, where Bell suggested that um, our members should be charged usage-based uh, charges that we would then have to pass on consumers, attempting, effectively attempting to kill at the time what was one offering that only, you could only get from an independent member, which was unlimited uh, internet. As you remember, the incumbents at that time, almost all their plans had some kind of usage limit with then potentially large overages charges. They've mostly all moved away from those plans and since, but uh, that was that was our beginnings. And ever since that, we've been, um, we've been fighting the cause of the uh, service-based competitor. Um, in terms of the merger and approval process, so I think the first thing just, as a general, is, is we're not opposed to acquisitions in general. It's it's natural for such transactions to occur and, and can be a positive sign of health in the industry. Our just concern is just when we don't have market or regulatory conditions that allow for the new entrants. We want to make sure that there are new players entering the space that can be lost as, as you see these uh, mergers occur. Uh, in terms of Roger Shaw, we, we did appear uh, at the Indu Committee uh, and we note a few things. Uh, the original deal certainly did not benefit uh, Canadians. Uh, if it had proceeded, it would have only benefited Rogers and Shaw and would have, uh, of course, also benefited Bell and Telus, since you would have had, you would have seen the loss of Freedom Mobile as an independent, uh, and at the time, a very upsurgent, um, sorry, insurgent provider. It was, it was certainly instigating a lot of uh, competition in the market where it was able to operate. Uh, but we, we also stressed that the government really need to look at mandating again, these MVNOs I spoke of earlier, that it, it, was, it was time to allow competition to flourish, both making sure that Freedom Mobile continued to exist, but that you uh, also had a regulated MVNO regime that would allow these names to have multiple choices uh, for their wireless services. And obviously the government has chosen only to proceed with the former. Um, and we just stressed that the market conditions that our members operated since 2015 have seen a lot of uh, independent members struggle. We've been unable to act, gain access, meaningful access to fiber optic facilities. 
Um, uh, we've never been granted access to wireless, even though in 2019, I believe it was the CRTC even said that that was something that should be granted to us, but then they, they 180'd. And they also, the CRTC 180'd on fees. And we, we stress that, that the, the, uh, the rates by which our members are charged, um, these are set by the, the CRTC, uh, and they had indicated that these were potentially too high, uh, but then went through a multi-year battle where they, they ended up effectively remaining back where they always been. Uh, so th that was effectively what we had told um, the uh, various bodies about the Roger Shaw merger. Okay. Uh, interesting to hear, and, and certainly the the trip back memory lane with uh, UBB brings back bring back a lot of yes. memories. Um, so you, exciting you talked, times. It, it was you know it was really the start of a lot of the net neutrality discussion in Canada. We, it, it, and of course, it was net net neutrality in the first uh, uh, regulatory by tweet, if I remember correctly. You remember exactly, and it was I think uh, chair at the time was Conrad von Finkenstein, who wasn't so happy about uh, the minister at the time, who was Tony Clement, um, putting something out by tweet. Um, yes, times, uh, times have certainly that's, changed. That's, times have certainly changed, but yes, that yeah. started the ball rolling down, uh, which has been a, a quite a ride. So, I think that's true. Now, well, one of the other rides and big changes that we've seen lately does involve the that issue of mergers that you you referenced a moment ago, and it's flown, I think, a little bit under the radar screen in recent months. But we've seen a, a large number of uh, mergers, and I think better described really is almost the disappearance of, of many of the independent providers. Distributel, Oxio, Ebox, Start, V Media, Ultima, all scooped up in recent months. You know, your thoughts on, on where that leaves the independent market? And I'm curious, at least so far, how some of the larger players who acquired these these companies, these these smaller independent players, how are they using those acquisitions? How are they using those companies? Well, in terms of where it leaves the market. It obviously leaves it much smaller, you know, uh, of the names you named, several of those were of the largest. Um, and for reference, you know, I think the one of the late dates, you know, the peak of the independent market was uh, the independents at one point had 11% market share, according to CRTC data. Uh, and at least several of those members constituted a, a large bulk of that. So, you know, from a market share perspective, we don't have exact data because one of the problems is, it's a pretty fast moving uh, space. So as you, you mentioned, there's been um, quite a few of these um, under the moving under the radar. So we're seeing a lessening of competition, a lessening of independent market share. In terms of where these large players, I think it's still very early to understand what the true long-term goals are here. Uh, and obviously I'm not sure each acquirer has the same motives. One clue that's uh, maybe interesting um, is, though, is that uh, of all the names you mentioned, uh, almost all of them were members of CNOC at one time, and they have remained uh, members of CNOC. Their, their new um, owners have, have uh, decided to allow uh, them to stay in CNOC because uh, almost all, except for one of those, I believe, they're being operated independently, Ebox. Uh, was being folded in, but is now actually being folded under Distributel according to um, some recent Bell press releases. But we are they're they're being operated still arm's length uh, for now, and uh, they are they continue to be so. Given that Cnox's mission is to still promote service-based competition, that hasn't changed. Uh, their presence suggests that perhaps some of the incumbents that have fought against service-based competition in the past are now seeing this as a path forward in concert with their uh, facilities-based approach. 
so on one hand, we we welcome the validation of the model that uh, CNOC has been supporting. Um, and I'm speculating a bit, of course, but I suggest that these acquisitions are probably fueled a little bit about the topic we spoke earlier. You know, Roger Shaw creates now a national footprint, near national footprint with uh, for Rogers, uh, or certainly one of the larger ones. And I think you'll see that many of these incumbents have uh, are seeing that this that service-based competition will let them quickly extend uh, outside of what you know they would consider call call their their home their home turf. Um, and we're also seeing it as a, another extension of, of flanker brands, uh, which again, I have, don't see a problem with flanker brands. Uh, again, those are where you see, we seen very heavily in the wireless space where, you know, someone like Bell will operate Lucky Mobile uh, as a an arm's length, they would say competitor. We don't really see them as competitors because I don't think anybody is really seeing that uh, Lucky Mobile is going to be competing with Bell itself. Uh, but they do see it as a way to better market their brands, and, and, and that's good. And we've seen that some of our members are, are an extension of that Flinker brand strategy. So all in all, that uh, it, it seems to be a new world uh, in terms of what the uh, traditional incumbent strategy will be uh, from both just the territory they plan to serve and how they plan to serve it. Yeah, okay. So you may have touched on, on this next question a little bit, but, but, uh, but I'll go ahead with it anyway. And it, it kind of begs the... The question of of why, or even more, I suppose, why now? You know, the this big change in it. You've highlighted a bit talking about you got one competitor creating a national footprint, and so in a sense, that's a response. So that suggests that much of this may well be driven by consolidation that we've seen among some of the big players, Roger Shaw, and perhaps even before that, Bell MTS. Is that do you think really the prime driver? Or is the CRTC's decisions, and we're going to come to the CRTC in just a moment, but is the CRTC decisions a driver? In other words. Is it the independents looking at what they've seen from the regulatory environment and saying, you know, we we need to look for an exit? Or do you think it's more a function of if Rogers made their move, we're seeing this consolidation, and so now we see responses from some of the other larger players? Uh, certainly, I think it's a bit of a perfect storm of a few things. Um, I think that the uh, market conditions, uh, like I said, going back to the fact that rates um, that, you know, the costs that uh, our members pay have been, went through years of influx. And it caused a lot of, of, of concern because, you know, for instance, in two, you know, the CRTC said that they were going to lower rates, but they were marked at what's called interim, um, which was just jargon that, you know, there was still proceedings to occur. But many of our members lowered their, their rates to be more competitive uh, at that time. Uh, while they waited for the final. But of course, the final decision, which came years later, ended up we're back where we started. Um, and so it caused quite a bit of, of stress, uh, especially on our smaller members, um, where it was just becoming harder and harder to compete um, because they, in our view, were overpaying for the services they were getting. And again, that small portion of the network that they were getting from the incumbents. And I think that drove a lot of of these uh, independent players to start taking calls from people who are just acquiring. And you know, there's always been interest in our members and, uh, you know, our members were always getting calls, but there's something about the, the, I think the uh, poor regulatory conditions that just caused them to take the calls, which then combined with the Roger Shaw thing, I think caused a bit of a spike in valuations. You know, many of these deals, we don't know the exact deal, but there are some public filings that suggest that 
some of these acquisitions were over a thousand dollars per residential subscriber. Um, and when you look at that and do some napkin math on what the margins were, and you're seeing multiple years of earnings ahead of you, combined with that regulatory bit, I think the decision became a no-brainer for many of these members, and, and they chose to they chose to exit. Okay, I mean that speaks to the the business considerations those companies have. Uh, of course, from a consumer perspective, they're going to typically Canadians are going to be less interested in those business considerations and more fundamentally about what it means for competition in the country. What's 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 your take on 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 ultimately what our competitive environment looks like, let's say right now is compared to, I don't know, three years ago or five years ago before we started to see these kinds of changes? Well, I think it has to roll back to what I said previously, you know, we 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 had seen quite a climb in market share. You know, it was 11% in rising and and we saw many of the incumbents uh, reacting uh, at the regulatory level. Um, and it's not been good because, you know, delay has been uh, the name of the game. Uh, you know, we've been acts, uh, not been expecting meaningful access to fiber since 2015. Uh, you know, we've been expecting new rates since 2016. Uh, and that's a long time for these businesses to operate, uh, and find part on their cash, cash reserves, which, you know, it is important because if, if. Our members don't know have certainty on their rates. It's hard for them to offer the competitive pricing that I think Canadians imagine, uh, sorry, expect. And there's been a lot of, or they haven't been able to provide the same service. You know, we I was just talking with someone last night who was using one of these acquired uh, members and was heartbroken here because they said, oh, it's just you know I always got great service. They were they returned any query very quickly. They were on top of everything. You know, we just don't see that anymore uh, because. As we said earlier, every time you take a competitor out of the space, I don't, I don't think anyone would say that benefits Canadians. The problem is, is that until something changes in the regulatory space, uh, we're going to see less and less competitors. There's not really a rush of competitors to come in to take the space of these uh, because they don't, they don't, they don't see the opportunity. But it's also led to some other interesting. Kind of uh, developments uh, for those that watch the scene a bit carefully, and that because the incumbents are now have acquired a lot of these players, we aren't seeing quite the alignment um, that you might have seen before when there was regulatory proceedings in Canada. You know, you could kind of always guess that if there was an issue that was service-based competitors against the uh, facilities base, all the facilities base would line up in one direction, and the uh, service base would line up in another. But we even just saw just last week where uh, Videotron, for instance, who of course uh, acquired V Media, took a contrary position in a, it was a very mundane process issue, but ended up being, from what the commission said, was a deciding factor to deny a delay to the incumbents uh, in a proceeding. So, you know, I don't know how that unfolds, but it, it is interesting where we may not see uh, such an alignment between all the incumbents in the time to come. Okay, that is interesting. So things have, things have been shaken up a little bit in the competitive environment from a regulatory process perspective. Uh, they've also been shaken up from the regulator. You know, in the last uh, number of months, CRTC is is under new leadership, and I think it's fair to say it's been sending some signals about its concern with competition and its desire to do something about it. How would you characterize the changes that we've seen since the start of the new year? Uh certainly extremely positive uh, from a service-based com competitor. And I think uh, for Canadians, uh, the 
uh, Chairman Atreides very quickly signaled that uh, she was of the view that the model was not working uh, and that something would become forth, uh, forthwith. Uh, uh, the concern always there is that as, as those that follow any government or regulatory policy, not always the fastest process, certainly doesn't move at the speed of sometimes the technology moves. So certainly uh, for a chair that's only been in the uh, seat 12 weeks to come so quickly uh, with change was, was certainly refreshing. Um, we've certainly had expressed our concern over the, uh, the previous leadership there. Uh, so it's, it's, um, it's, it's been very positive to see. And again, it's still very early. There's still a bit of a honeymoon period but they have put a, a very aggressive timelines, which suggests that they understand, they've heard what a lot of uh, independents are saying, that time is not on our side. We, we need very quick action on a lot of files that we've been saying for several years uh, have effectively led to a broken regulatory market. Yeah, no, I think that, that was a pervasive view, I think amongst uh, many, including of course, the consumer side as well. So you talked yes. about some of the, the various regulatory Activities, can you unpack a little bit what the CRTC is either planning or what it's conducting uh, coming out of some of the kind of pronouncements that we've seen from the new chair? Uh, so the big one that uh, certainly is is breaking news, so to speak, uh, was uh, just in the last few weeks, they announced a new proceeding 2023-56, which really looks at the two major issues that I think service-based competitors have said. The one is that the, the rates... Um, do not seem uh, to make sense. And again, it's important to understand the, the way that rates are set by the, uh, the commission is it's a cost-based approach. They look at the costs that the uh, incumbent needs to uh, has to provide that service and then adds uh, what we understand to be a, a fairly reasonable margin on that. Um, they have agreed that there seems to be a problem with the current rate structure. Um, they actually uh, lowered uh, preemptively what are called the usage sensitive. So that's the, the, you know, because our costs are broken into some fixed and usage ones. So the usage sensitive ones are as our customers use more data, we're charged more by the incumbents for that data. They lowered those 10% um, pretty much out of the gate and have now started proceeding that we're going to see to review that. But the more encouraging development for sure is that they have agreed that the fiber regime uh, is broken. Uh, you know, we've been, like I said, it's, as I said earlier, it's been since 2015 that the commission agreed that access to fiber was important, but we simply could not get a model that was cost-effective. Uh, you know, as an example, some of the costs that were being given uh, to access services were sometimes two and three times what you'd see on the market uh, if you went and bought from that competitor directly, you know, under what economic situation does that make sense? Uh, and there was also the technology uh, by which we connect. And I, I won't get into the weeds on that, but they effectively said that fiber needs to be uh, brought to competitors under the existing framework. They had many years ago developed a new technical framework and it simply wasn't working. It was taking too long. It was very costly and it simply wasn't uh, producing a competition. The real sweetener on all this is they're doing this under an extremely expedited process because, of course, sometimes these proceedings can take years upon years. So we're very encouraged that they understand that this has to be done under a very, very tight timeline. That's certainly the big one that we're seeing. But, you know, in recent weeks, they've uh, they've started to look at the uh, cost of roaming between mobile networks um, 
Uh, they've also obviously are looking at the, uh, based on the minister's uh, letter at the just roaming rates in general, there'll be, uh, we believe a review of the CRTC broadband fund. Um, and uh, one that's important to us is that the regulators is slated to investigate the rising cost of incumbent market power uh, in the inner city transport segment. Um, and transport's this buzzword that we use a lot, but in order for us to build our networks, you have to have the access to transport. You have to, uh, all providers, even the incumbents, you know, borrow and rent facilities from each other. Uh, but the access to that has just been dwindling and certainly Roger Shaw has now taken out another one of those players. So we're certainly encouraged. Um, always a bit worried because the CRTC does take along like all the files I've just mentioned are, are of course just in the telecom side. Um, the broadcast side has no lack, uh, you know, to, and of course they're going to be dealing with C11 and C18, which, uh, I know you're very familiar with. So one thing we just, uh, want to make sure that happens is that the commission has the resources it needs to take on what is a very aggressive agenda. Okay. So it is an amb ambitious agenda. And as you kind of piece together the various elements that are in play, it's quite clear that it's got the chance to reshape what what some of that regulatory environment looks like. So, you know, why don't we conclude with this? It's clear there's a lot of upheaval going on right now. You've We've got the mergers that we were talking about uh, at the big level with respect to Roger Shaw. We've got the changes that are taking place within the, within the independent sector. And now we've got a newly engaged CR, CRTC that that it appears is looking to turn the page on, well, frankly, the Ian Scott years with a, with a somewhat different approach um, that I think many people are really happy to see. If we look ahead five or 10 years, even let's say 10 years, which is the timeline for these agreements that uh, the minister is touting that he has with uh, Rogers and Videotron, what do you think the Canadian market looks like? You know, are we still struggling with some of the high prices and concerns about competition? Or are you optimistic that the net effect of some of these things could result in, in some lasting change and uh, a, a more competitive environment? Um. You know, it's it's a mixed bag. Uh, certainly optimistic uh, that the government um, and the CRTC has, has seen the value of service-based competition. And it's kind of a weird cycle. Like if you go back to even the conservative era, they started uh, with Bernier on a very pro-incumbent view, but eventually when uh, came quite around to service-based competition and, and did a lot of work there under... Minister Clement, as you mentioned, and we kind of saw that under the current government, they kind of started a bit, I think, uh, obviously, we'd say on the wrong, wrong track, but have, have come around to see the value of competition. So my first hope is that, uh, you know, this government uh, clearly has uh, seen the light and uh, any successive government, we hope, hope sees the same thing. Uh, but I do see a much different landscape. You know, we're, I think we're seeing uh, some of the uh, traditional you know, for lack of a better term, territories of the incumbents uh, evaporating and them starting to play on a more national field. Uh, so, you know, I think consumers will have will benefit from that, but we'll also see some struggles on the independent. But I think we'll also see new competitors come out of that um, and business models that we can't foresee. So I always like to be a bit optimistic. You know, it's this has always been a very fast uh, moving industry. Uh, and, uh, you know, my hope is that uh, Canadians uh, benefit from that. The one challenge that I would urge uh, the government to, and the CRTC to be careful is not to just always pick one horse. You know, like even as we look at uh, the fourth national carrier, why not 
also do MVNO. You know, if we look at even the fiber access, they they chose to only pick one model many years ago. Don't always go on the one horse. I think there's room for facilities-based and service-based competition. And when both those models are embraced properly, that's when I think Canadians ultimately win with uh, good competition and ultimately lower prices. All right. So there is a path. <laughs> remains there to be seen path. whether there remains to be seen whether or not we get a we get both the government industry and the regulator in alignment. But um, you've at least provided a more optimistic take on on how there is still some hope for for turning this thing around after a very long period of time, which I think has certainly frustrated some in the industry and and most of all frustrated consumers. Uh, Paul, thank you so much for for laying that all out and joining me on the podcast. Thanks so much. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at lawbitespod or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening and see you next time.